Well, good morning. It is time for Bible Study Live on Thursdays at 11. I want to welcome you today, and uh, I'm Brad Riley, and I know most of you already know that, but we have new people finding this Bible study every week, and so uh, it is great to have them joining us. And Beverly, good to see you watching today. I'm going to take just a minute here to scroll down on my Facebook page and just see if I can pull up the live broadcast where I can uh, where I can follow comments easier on my big screen instead of just on the phone. But for some reason, it just doesn't always pop up on the Facebook page when I'm when I'm uh, starting it out, and I'm not sure why that is, but. Who knows? There's all kinds of, maybe if I refresh it, it'll work better. But giving you a chance to kind of grab your, it says, sorry, something went wrong, naturally. <laughs> hey, Dennis, good to see you today. Thanks for joining in on this. We are just getting ready to get started. There it is. There's the live broadcast. Okay, I'm going to click on that. Watch the video. Turn the volume down. I hope you have a cup of coffee and your Bible and a notepad so that you can take notes. Today's, today's study is just full of things that we need to sink our, our teeth into today, our, our lives. It's really, I'm just amazed at what I'm learning from this passage, so I'm excited for you. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5. This will be the first part of Luke chapter 5, and uh, my Good morning, Dennis. My my coffee cup's already half empty, so I didn't have time to go refill it, but I made a very special coffee today. I don't know why. I was just excited by this lesson today and uh, some of the things that are happening that are going to be happening. I'll explain a little bit later this weekend. Uh, and so I, I went, I brewed my, you know, I always brew fresh ground coffee, and I made the, uh, this morning I made some Irish cream, decaf ground, fresh ground beans, Irish cream from the Spice Merchant. And that's really, really good stuff. Cindy, thanks for joining in. And uh, the, the, the fresh ground Irish cream is really good. But then I was down here in my office studying, and I'd finished that cup, and I thought, I need another fresh cup. So as I was walking towards the stairs to go upstairs and make the coffee, I, I my eye caught this pump of dark chocolate syrup and caramel syrup that we keep on the on the uh, kind of the the bar down here in the basement and I thought you know I never do that very often but I'm going to do that so I put a pump of the dark chocolate syrup and a pump of the caramel syrup and then went up made my coffee usually I just drink black coffee you know but but hey you know Starbucks I haven't been able to go sit in Starbucks for a long time so I'm actually uh, I'm actually kind of missing some of those little fancier uh, drinks, lattes and things. So I put that pump of dark chocolate, pump of caramel, went up, made my fresh dripped uh, ground uh, Irish cream, and then poured just a little half and half in the top. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So I call it the uh, Irish cream mocha, Irish cream caramel mocha. So created my own little drink here. Mmm, well, it's so good. I'm not just taking sips. I am taking long drinks, and it's going fast. So I want to invite you to be taking yours as well. Uh, so just uh, grab a cup of coffee, grab your Bible, grab a notepad, or you know, a iced tea, whatever, Coca-Cola, whatever's your favorite drink. 
And let's spend some time together in the Word of God today because I know He's He's showing me some powerful stuff here and I just want to share it with you. So for all those who are watching today, who will be joining in as time, as the hour goes on, and for those who are just going to watch it later, I, I have some friends in international circles that through Facebook that are actually uh, checking in on this. And so really this, this Bible study is going out all over the world and I couldn't be more thrilled about that because it's not about me, it's about the Word of God. And if there's anything that our world needs today, it's a renewed, refreshed, recommitted attention to the Word of God. Because in the Word of God are the answers to all the problems that our culture's facing. They've always been there, they always will be. So I hope that you will, uh, I hope that you'll listen in and participate. I'm going to turn around and shut this window off here. I just realized that's kind of distracting. My email box is open back there. I kind of like the artwork, uh, the iconic artwork. That's that's the icon. If you've ever wondered, that is the ancient, very famous icon called the Pantocrator in Greek, which means Jesus, the, the, the creator of the whole world. Uh, so it's an icon of Jesus, the creator of the whole world. Um, so, if you have your prayer cards, let's let's begin to get ready with our study. The prayer card, if you're new today, is always found under photos. You can find a copy of it there on my Brad Rally Ministries page. It's called the Prayer Before the Study of Scripture. It's a very ancient prayer from St. John Chrysostom. And I just love what it says. So let's let's kind of enter into a spirit of prayer. Let's ask the Lord to Help us to open our minds, to open our hearts, so that we will understand the teachings of the gospel. Let us pray. Illumine our hearts, O master lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and may be transformed to live both thinking and doing the things that are pleasing to you. For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies, and unto you we give all glory and praise together with our Father, who is from everlasting and the all-holy good and life-creating Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. I think... One of the things that I love about that prayer so much is to think that some 1,600 years ago, there was a holy man of God praying that prayer. And people have prayed that prayer over the centuries. That's pretty, that's pretty powerful thought. One of the beauty of ancient prayers and ancient liturgical prayers and things is, is just knowing that we're connecting our modern faith with the faith of the ancients throughout the ages. Uh, it's one faith. J the book of Jude says there is one faith once and for all delivered to the saints. So uh, just because it's modern and we do things a little differently in a modern world, we still have the same ancient faith. I want to be an ancient faith believer. And so I pray you do too. So, uh, thanks. It looks like we've got a couple more friends joining in. John, it's good to see you. Judith, good to see you. Let's get into the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. We're going to start a new chapter, and we're going to be talking specifically about the calling 
of Simon Peter. We'll look at the first 11 verses today. While the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of their boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had ceased speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great shoal of fish. And as their nets were breaking, they beckoned to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. Henceforth you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sylvia, I see, has joined us. Good morning. And Debbie, thanks. Debbie and Mark, I, thanks for joining us. Uh, wow, this is, a, this is a powerful passage of Scripture for us today. Let me give you just a little bit of background. Let's, let's put ourselves into the scene. This morning as I was getting ready, I pulled up some of my photos and pictures from the Sea of Galilee, because that's where we're at. I know that Luke says they're standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, Gennesaret is actually a, uh, another name for the Sea of Galilee. Gennesaret was the name of the plain that was at the western end of the, the lake that led into a plain, a very fertile plain, lots of uh, beautiful uh, fruits and, and crops and vegetables there. Um, but it, it has, so it has a couple of names. Uh, it's an actually a really, Scott Davis, thank you for joining us. Good morning. Good morning, Judy. Um, so this Sea of Galilee, sometimes called the Lake of Gennesaret, sometimes called the Sea of Tiberias, the, the ancient city of Tiberias sits right on the shores. And that's a fascinating place because it is still a thriving city. Thousands of years. It was named for a Roman emperor, Tiberius. So it predates the time of, of the New Testament and still a thriving city. That's pretty, an, pretty much an amazing feeling when you walk down the streets of Galilee. And there is nothing, there's nothing like being in Tiberius, waking up in the morning, stepping out on the balcony of your hotel and seeing the sun glisten off of the hills around Galilee and then reflecting off of the waters. And the water just looks like glass. It is amazing. I have a couple pictures of that. I wish there was a way I could just throw those pictures up right now and say, hey, show up. We can't do that. You can do that on Zoom. But then uh, Zoom is only by invitation. And I'd like this to be open to the whole world. If 
But I just, you know, the next best thing to being there, of course, is, is a picture. But wish you all could go sometime. So if I ever organize another pilgrimage, which I would like to do, make an effort to go. Uh, Lenora, thanks for joining in this morning. So we're, we're on the Sea of, we're right by the Sea of Galilee. And, and there's Peter and Simon, as he's called, really. Simon and, and James and John, his fishing partners, they have two boats there. And, and they're working on cleaning their nets, uh, maybe just doing a little bit of fishing along the shore. Uh, but it's probably mid-morning, midday. It, it's hard to say exactly what time it is, but we know it's daytime because a large crowd is gathered and they're around, they're pressing in on Jesus. I mean, he, he, wherever he goes at this point, he's drawing big crowds. We left him in chapter four coming out of the synagogue. So now in chapter 5, we see a stark contrast of Jesus teaching in the synagogue and Jesus teaching in the open air. Now, I want to draw your minds and hearts to a couple of symbols here that are very important to us. There are two boats. This is very symbolic uh, that Luke wants to note two boats. We see here the great symbols of the two great teaching arenas, if you will, of Jesus. The synagogue, the open air. We see symbols of the old covenant and the new covenant. We see symbols of the gospel being for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. So there is a very beautiful symbolism going on here. And when we understand that, it's going to make the rest of the story make a little more sense. Because what's happening here, it, it, we, we, we want to put the call of Simon and, and really, truly all of Christ's disciples into the larger picture. If we could look back into Mark chapter 1, in Matthew chapter 4, and John chapter 1, we would hear some parallel stories to the calling of Simon Peter. In those, particularly in Mark, we know Mark was the first gospel written, and, and we know that Matthew and Luke pulled pretty much everything from Mark. And Matthew, uh, of course, was writing to a very Jewish audience, and Luke being concerned to write for a very, for the whole world, if you will, for a Gentile audience, uh, tells the story a little differently. And of course, John, which is a totally different theological, mystical gospel, has even more different details. But Here's what the other three Gospels note. They tell us that Jesus uh, met these uh, followers, these potential followers, and, and that they just immediately followed him. Mark loves that word, immediately. Matthew uses that word, too. Just immediately they left their, their nets and followed him. That's probably not how it happened in total. So let's think about this. You know, some of these were disciples of John the Baptist as well. They've been kind of following him around. And then they begin to follow Jesus around after his baptism. And we see him interact with them. And the, the fuller story here is that most likely, Peter, James, John, they all know who Jesus is. When he asks them to use their boat today, this is a, this is a little different story in in uh, Mark and Matthew, we just hear Jesus meeting them by the seashore and calling them. And, and truly he does, but, but Luke's giving us the fuller picture. You know, the, Jesus has seen them by that seashore before. They've been following him a little. They've been watching and listening like everybody else. 
But today, it's time for Jesus to really make the call. And in front of all these crowds, he's going to tell Peter, and he chooses Peter's boat of the two for a reason. Let's put out just a little ways from the land so that I can teach. So he needed to get away from the pressing of the crowds. He sits down. Scripture tells us that he sits down, which is, that's how a rabbi taught. Even in the synagogue, we saw last chapter that Jesus sat down after the reading of the scroll, and then he taught from a seated position. And as he's teaching then, uh, we don't know how long he taught, we don't know what he said in this case, but we know that eventually the teaching time comes to an end, and then it's at that point he tells Peter, put out into the deep. Now we begin to see this interaction with, uh, with, with Jesus and Peter, and Simon answers him, he says, he says, Master, we've toiled all night long. Okay, now, first of all, he knows him and he's calling him Master. Okay, so he, he considers himself as a follower of Jesus. But yet he still has his fishing business. He hasn't left that business completely. He's actually still doing, following Jesus a little while he's around Galilee, but still working to support his family. But we know there's going to come a time, and we're going to see it at the end of this verses we just read, where he actually literally leaves his family for a while, leaves his livelihood of his business of fishing just to follow Jesus for three years. James and John, of course, and all of them do the same thing. Now, in this time, he, he, they've fished all night. Now, if you're a fisherman, you know the best fishing is always at night. I'm not a great fisherman. I love to fish. I very rarely get to take time to do it or take the time to do it. Excuse me while I take another drink of this delicious Irish cream caramel mocha. I hope you get a drink of yours too. Mm, mm, mm. That's really good. So fishing, I don't have any great stories. I have never caught the Whopper. I've never caught, I've never caught hardly anything quite honestly. Um, but just the pursuit of fishing, just the intrigue of trying to get the fish to bite. And, and uh, of course, for them, it was trying to get the fish in the net. Um, that, that's, that's fun pursuit. It's, it's a catch. And these guys make their livelihood at it because that was the biggest industry right there around Galilee. And, and they've fished all night. They're tired. They're sitting in the boat with Jesus while he's teaching. And, of course, they're loving his teaching. But... You can hear the tiredness in his voice when he, Jesus says, let's go out a little deeper. Master, we're tired. We've done this all night long. We're not going to catch anything. And But your master, if you say it, we'll do it. And so he does. And he goes out, out into the deep, and he, and he, and he throws his net out there. And what does he get? The scripture tells us there's a shoal of fish. A shoal is like a big school of fish and it just it draws in a catch that is so big they can't haul it in and, and so he calls to James and John in the other boat come out here and help us and they both grab these fish and they get them in the both boats there's such a huge catch I'm sure so James and John are now throwing in their nets and everybody's trying to get the fish in the boat and the boats begin to sink in the astonishment of what is happening, the scripture just tells us they're all amazed. All who were with him were amazed, it says in verse 9. And Peter, 
drops to his knees. He drops to his knees and he says, Lord, go away from me. I am too sinful to be in your presence. I want to, I want to, I'm just kind of giving you a kind of story narrative synopsis of what we read. And now I want to take you through some of this, some of this, the symbol, symbolism and the meaning. Okay. Why does Jesus tell Peter to go out into the deep? Now, as always, I love it when people, if you ask a question or have a thought or a comment, type it in. Uh, but if, if you have an answer, you know, there are no wrong answers. We're just here to study the, study the word of God together. And I'm not the Bible answer man, but, but you know, if you have a thought, just type it in right there. Why, why do you think he did? Why? Sylvia said, these men were following John the Baptist around, then followed Jesus around. Makes me wonder what all these men were. Let me read it down here. Makes me wonder what all these men were doing just following Jesus around. They must have been virtuous, spiritually hungry. God knew when these people would be ready to truly follow Jesus. That's a beautiful point, Sylvia. They are spiritually hungry. I think all of humanity is spiritually hungry. We just don't realize what the answer is until we see it in Jesus. And that's what this story is all about. How Jesus is going to show them how they can attract and answer and fill the spiritual hunger of humanity. Thanks for commenting on that. It's beautiful. So why did he tell him to go to the deep? The deep, like the two boats, is very symbolic. The deep represents the world. It represents, notice the cat, the catch is, feels like all the fish in the lake. The catch is huge and it, it's just filled. Um, there are two great catch stories in the New Testament. One of those stories, of course, is this one. And the other story is after Jesus' resurrection, when they bring in a great hall. And at that one, if you remember, they, they even number the total of fish. This one, it's, it's too great to number. St. Augustine, one of the early church, famous early church fathers, had some good words on this, and I, I want to just share them with you here real quick. Uh, he said this about this idea, he, this, this particular catch, these two catches of fish, this one and the one after the resurrection. He said, these two catches of fish stand for the whole church. I told you there's a lot of symbolism in this that we really need to sink our, our teeth and our minds into. These two catches of fish stand for the whole church, both as it is now and as it will be after the resurrection of the dead. That's why the other catch was after the resurrection. Now, as you can see, it contains countless numbers. This one, the one in our story today, countless numbers of fish, both good and bad. After the resurrection, the on, only the good, and there's a definite number of them. I think that's a fascinating uh, catch by St. Augustine to see the difference in these two catches. Right now, this is, this is the church now. We're supposed to be fishing for everyone. And there's no limit to what we can catch for the Lord. Because now, as the scripture says, now is the day of salvation. Now, I want you to hear a parallel here about the deep also from the words of John Wesley. John Wesley 
began a revival in England in the 1700s, along with his brother Charles and, and another preacher, a great famous preacher, Jonathan uh, Whit, or, uh, James Whitfield, um, and or George, George Whitfield, sorry. I think it was George Whitfield. But, you know, a couple of others, they, they, had, they had begun this experience of spiritual renewal in their own lives and hearts. The, the, the Lord had touched them. It, it was as if he was calling them to bring renewal to the church in their day, in revival, if you will, to the Church of England, where they lived. And everywhere they went, it seemed like everywhere they went, the doors were shut to them. They, they could not just preach wherever they wanted to. Uh, in fact, the message that they offered about revival, about heart cleansing and heart purifying and being entirely sanctified, was actually met with hostility by some of the bishops of the Church of England. Hard for us to imagine that. But it challenged the, the authority and the way that they were doing things. Now we see a parallel here between Jesus teaching in the synagogues and Jesus going out into the open air. Hi, Ellen. Thanks for joining today. So there's, there was John Wesley first teaching and preaching in the churches of England and eventually being forced to just preach in the open air. Jesus preaching in the synagogues, and we know that he's at synagogue last chapter, open air this chapter, we're going to see him go back into the synagogue again before the study of Luke is over. But eventually we know the doors to the synagogue were shut to Jesus. He was not welcome, eventually. So into that kind of symbolic comparison about where we preach and how we catch the greatest catch for Jesus, I want you to hear these words from John Wesley, kind of commenting on his own ministry, the ministry of the Methodists, that's what they called them. So they were nicknamed that actually by the English, by the Church of England, the Anglicans. Those Methodists over there that have their, their, uh, their methods to attract to studying, praying, meeting, and preaching. They had definite methods. So, here's what John Wesley said. Our societies, meaning these groups of Methodists, our societies were formed from those who were wandering upon the dark mountains that belonged to no Christian church, but were awakened by the preaching of the Methodists. Now, he's talking about the preaching, him and Charles and George Whitfield and these, these, these preachers that he was training and raising up, they were the Methodists, but their catch, the people that they were reaching their society, which eventually becomes a society because it grows so large, are people from the unchurched, people from the dark mountains, he calls it. Uh, they belonged to no Christian church. He says, but they were awakened by the preaching of the Methodists, who had pursued them through the wilderness of this world to the highways and the hedges, to the markets and the fairs, to the hills and the dales, who set up the standard of the cross in the streets and lanes of the cities, in the villages, in the barns, and in the farmers' kitchens. And all this done in such a way and to such an extent as never had been done before since the apostolic age. Wow. 
and, he, and he's right. I mean, the English revival was the greatest revival since, of course, the first couple of hundred years of the apostolic age that swept the whole Roman Empire. He goes on to say, I, I like this really well. He says, I love a commodious room. There's a word we don't use very often. Commodious, you know, a beautiful, luxurious, comfortable room as, as maybe a beautiful sanctuary. He said, I love a commodious room, a soft cushion and a handsome pulpit. But field preaching saves souls. Wow. 300 years later, that was from a, a Barclay's commentary. He records the words of Wesley there. 300 years later, we have commodious rooms and beautiful pulpits, and I love them. Trust me. I'm blessed to get to occupy one every Sunday morning, and, and I'm just, I just love it, you know? But here's what I know as John Wesley, field preaching saves souls. In the church, in the pulpits, in the commodious rooms, in the soft cushions, we're going to disciple ourselves. And that is where we need discipleship. We need to hear the word of God preached with, with power and, and authority, with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, not from our wisdom, but from his. We're just the tool that he uses us preachers and teachers. But, but the reality is, if we're really going to save souls, we got to get out in the fields. That's, that's what Jesus had to do. That's what John Wesley had to do. That's what we need. We still need to do it again today. There was a period in time where churches, people flocked to churches. There are pockets of time where people did flock into churches and they, they were saved and they, they heard the gospel and, and they joined and their lives were transformed. But more and more, that's not the case. Not only are people not flocking to churches, church members aren't flocking to churches. And of course, right now, many of us can't even go to church or, or are afraid to go to church because of this virus, this coronavirus. I want to talk about a little more of that at the end, about that fear factor and, and things. But, but right now, I want you to see the symbolism of what's happening here. Jesus is out in the fields teaching and he's preaching and this is where he's calling his disciples and he truly calls Peter. He, we, we see this. Um, when we see Peter react, okay, his reaction is one of great humility. He sees a miracle and he falls to his knees in worship of Jesus. And just says, I'm just not worthy to be in your presence, Lord. When we see miracles, if we see miracles, do we have such humility? I wonder sometimes if we even have eyes to see the miracles that are all around us. You see, I believe in miracles. I believe Jesus is still doing miracles. I believe Jesus wants to do more miracles in and through us if we'll have eyes to see, to see the opportunity. Peter didn't see the opportunity right away. He didn't know, hey, you know, if I just go out into the middle, into the deep, there's going to be this great shoal of fish and I'm going to be able to catch it. He didn't know that. He didn't see that because it wasn't opportune. It wasn't the perfect time. Everyone knew the perfect time to fish was at night. But Jesus knew that the opportune time is never going to be when we catch the most people. 
when we save the most souls. Boy, we're living in an inopportune time right now, aren't we? This time of coronavirus, the churches are closing doors, services are not being held, we're trying to be creative and do things online. Um, it, it doesn't feel like an opportune time for the gospel, but it is. In fact, it may be the greatest opportunity, in certainly in my lifetime, for the gospel, if we'll seize it. If in the power of the Holy Spirit, we will, by his leading, have eyes to see the opportunity. In Barclay's commentary, he, he commented on a couple of great, uh, well, great discoveries, if you will, uh, that are kind of analogous to what we're talking about, having eyes to see and being willing to seize it. He, he used the analogy of uh, James Watt, who invented the steam engine. How many people had ever watched a pot boil, a kettle with a lid on it boil? You let a kettle with a lid on it or a pot with a lid on it boil and you boil it long enough, the steam, and what he began to notice, boy, the, the lid was popping up and down. The power of the steam moved that lid. That inert object was moved by the power of the steam. He had eyes to see something right in front of him. He created the steam engine. Amazing. He talked about Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton sitting under an apple tree one day sees an apple fall. Most people just see an apple fall. People, apples been falling out of trees for thousands and thousands of years. But John, but Isaac Newton saw gravity. He, he discovered the, the thought, the science of gravity. It was right in front of him. It was right in front of everybody all along. So I want to ask us the question this morning. Do we have eyes to see miracles? Do we have eyes to see opportunities? Because they are all around us. Jesus is still calling to make fishers of men. There's a lot of people that we need to fish for. So as we do this... Uh, Let's look at Peter's example. Let's, let's consider his example. Um, I, I want to share something with you here this morning as we work through these thoughts. Um, I believe so strongly that now is the time for the church of Jesus Christ in all her forms, whether that be Methodist or Catholic or Nazarene or whatever, now is the time in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of our whole, what, what seems like a secular reordering. I mean, let's make no mistake here. We, our society is being reordered. The government is moving at a rapid pace to change things, whether for the good or the bad, people will debate that, you know, depending on your view of economics. But make no mistake, things are being reordered. Uh, people's lives, the fish out there in the sea, the people, their lives are being changed as the government's beginning to feed them and care for them in a, in a particular way with these like stimulus payments and things. And as the businesses are shut down, and again, I'm not being political. I'm not saying good or bad. I know there's people on both sides of that coin, but I'm just saying, have your eyes open. Our society's being reordered and it's going to change the way people think. 
And one of the things scripture teaches, if it teaches anything at all, it teaches that we are not to look for handouts. Now, we need them. We, we, there's times when we're all down on our lucks, and Christians are to be people of mercy and helping provide those kind of handouts. But we're not supposed to live off of them. Scripture teaches us strongly to work. The man who will not work will not eat, St. Paul says. Hi, Tim. Thanks for joining in today. So, in this reordering of our society, let us not be so caught off guard and so lulled into thinking that, well, it's just going to always be this way and I don't have to work as hard. Uh, because what's in front of us is an opportunity for the gospel like never before in my lifetime. When most people are not in church, when most people are not believers, in my young years, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, People, most people were in church. Most people, almost everyone I knew went to church. Almost everyone in the town where I grew up went to church. Not so anymore. So while we have this opportunity before us, let us open our eyes. Let us see the opportunity that is there. Because there's a lot of fish. You ever watch fish that need... I used to go to... We used to take our family in San Antonio when I was ministering down there. There's a place called the Japanese Tea Garden. If you've never been there, you need to go because it's absolutely beautiful. You're driving down Interstate 37 towards downtown. You get close to downtown San Antonio. You see a sign for Brackenridge Park. You take it and you in Brackenridge Park, there is this old uh, rock quarry. You see you park in the lot, you walk up to it, and you kind of enter in the rock quarry from the top on the ledge. And when you walk into the jet, that rock quarry was turned into a, a tea garden. A, it, it's, an, it's an Asian paradise right there in the middle of San Antonio uh, with exotic plants and waterfalls and fish ponds and bridges and flora and fauna. And I don't even know what flora and fauna is, but I like to use those words. You know, it, and it's just a peaceful place in the middle of a thriving metropolis of a million people. Right there in the middle of it. And I used to take my Bible and a notepad. And, and I would just go there on Tuesdays. Tuesday afternoons, I would head over there from the church. And I would just sit and read and get inspired to preach the word for that following week. And I, I, I bring that up because... One of the things I used to take my family there for, I discovered, was all these giant koi, Japanese goldfish, you know, big foot, two foot long fish. Uh, they're in those ponds and they love for you to feed them. And they don't have, uh, they don't have like feeding machines where you buy stuff. At least they didn't back when I was there. But you just take a loaf of bread with you and just crumble it up and cast it on the water. And you just walk by those ponds. And those fish, they can see you up there. They're trained. They know that it's somebody's going to feed them or might feed them. So they come to the surface and they want that food. Their mouths just start going like this. They want that food. They've been lulled into to believing that they're always going to be fed. Now, what if nobody ever fed those fish? Would they die? No. Because since God created fish, fish knew how to find their own food. But now those fish are lulled into believing that God, somebody's going to walk by and feed them. So I'm, I'm kind of trying to bring in analogies here because this is a very metaphorical passage of Scripture this morning. And I believe it's showing us the world in which we live. 
and the world in which we have an incredible opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, we're going to have to do it differently. We can't just run an ad and expect everybody to come to our churches. I don't care how cool you think your worship service is. I don't care how cool your light shows are, how hip you think your music is, or what kind of videos you can show. People are not going to flock to your church, not in the world we're living in right now. It's, it's rare, okay? Maybe it's happening somewhere, but it's, it's, it's rare. And if it is happening, it's not because of those things. It's happening because the Spirit of God is there and the, and the Word of God is being preached with power and authority and truth. Hi, Cecil. Thanks for joining today. That's the world we're living in. It, it's not about... We, we can't build a church cool enough and hip enough to bring the masses in. And if we do, all it's going to do is bring them in for a little while and they're not going to stay because they're not being fed the spiritual food. We must get back to, back to the Bible, back to the spiritual food. And, and we must give people the truth, the manna from heaven, the bread of life, which is Jesus. And, and that's, what, that's what Jesus is calling Peter to do here. And, 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 well, Simon is his name at this point. You know, that's James and John and the others. He, he, in, as they fall on their faces in humility before him and say, we are not worthy. Jesus says to them, let me just read it to you here. Again, do not be afraid. What do you think Peter was afraid of? What, what was Jesus talking to, to them about? What, what was he warning them about? Don't be afraid. What, what thoughts do you think were going through their head at this time? Go ahead and type in a comment if you, if you think, think you uh, want to. I, I want you to. I, I want to encourage you to type in a comment there or ask a question. What do you think Peter might have been afraid of? That in the face of this miracle, he bows down before God himself, Jesus Christ, and says, I'm not worthy. I'll tell you what I think it was. I think he was afraid to answer the call. I really do. I think Peter was afraid to answer the call. And I think they all were. Peter's being singled out here for a reason because he is the chief of the apostolic band, if you will. And that, that's really clear in Scripture. There's just no argument about that. There's argument over how, what power and authority he had as the chief. Of course, that's lasted through the ages between Catholics and Protestants. But there's no, no question Peter's the chief. Now, I think he's afraid to answer that call. Because, you know, up until now, he's seen Jesus by the seashore. He's listened to some of his teachings, but he's still going home at night to his family. He's still fishing. But now, the call is, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's the call. That's the call for all of us, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. That is our call. I, I, I'm going to tell you that I, I feel Peter's heart here. I grew up in church, I've told you that before. I grew up in several churches. <laughs> I grew up in one particular small little Protestant church and as a young teenager went to the Catholic church 
and uh, stayed there for many years and felt a very strong call to ministry, particularly to the priesthood. But I couldn't answer that call. And I, and I think in God's providence, I shouldn't have answered it then simply because it wasn't the right place in the right church for me in the right time. But I knew God was working in me. And I, but here's what happened. After I walked away, I mean, I, I couldn't reconcile in my own heart the life of the Catholic priesthood. Some, some can. The celibate life is for some. Scripture teaches us that. But it wasn't for me. I wanted a family. I wanted children. And, and, and that was my only choice was celibacy if I was going to remain in the Catholic Church. So I left there as a young adult, very disillusioned. Um, always told people I didn't leave the Catholic Church because I found they were wrong about everything or evil or anything like that. There's a lot of beauty in the Catholic Church. I think they've got a few things off, but, but they're a valid church of Christ on this earth. And, uh, but I... But I was being drawn by the, by the Holy Spirit. I was being drawn and prepared for a ministry that I took years to answer. Uh, specifically, maybe another uh, 12 years to answer after I'd left the Catholic Church. So, and in my, I was already married. I had kids. I was a businessman. Uh, like Peter. I'd been hanging around Jesus, <laughs> been hanging around the church, you know, uh, worshiping. I was a believer. And finally, uh, in the midst of what for me was a crisis because I was diagnosed with a heart problem, and that'll get your attention. <laughs> then you'll start to look at your life and say, wow, what have I accomplished? Have I done any good here on this earth? Uh, what, what's my life all about? And that got my attention. I you know, in just some soul searching, I began to realize I never answered the call, the call that had always been there. And so I did my best to answer that call, started studying for ministry. By God's grace, was eventually ordained and ministering. I ministered for 20 years in, in one church. And then last year, stepping out by faith into this field of independent evangelistic ministry, teaching and preaching, and finding real quickly... <laughs> That I need to fish. <laughs> I need to catch some fish uh, because it's difficult. Uh, it's very difficult to make a living just as an itinerant preacher. So I'm a bivocational minister now, and I have huge, huge respect and admiration for others who have walked that road a long time because it's difficult to split your focus when your heart wants to be just doing all this ministry of the Lord and you have to go do this other job and things. And so um, the, the secret is to find the ministry in everything. Because the truth is, no matter whether you're bivocational or not, we're all, I, I wanna tell you, I said in the beginning of this, we're all called to be ministers, all of us. All bivocational ministers, not all of us full-time Christian pastors, but all bivocational ministers. And the secret is to find what's right in front of our eyes, like Peter did. Like Peter, it's right in front of us. Now I see it, Lord. Look at all these fish. They were there all along. I just didn't have faith to step out and try, to step out and do at an inopportune time. Like the middle of the day when everybody knows you don't go fishing when it's high noon. You just don't do it. And, and so let that be a lesson to us that 
like Peter, let's not be afraid. I, I don't know what your fear is today. I've got a feeling that most everyone I'm talking to on this Bible study today, even around the world, has some kind of fear that you're, you're, you're afraid because you're not working. How are you going to continue this lifestyle? You're afraid perhaps because your business is changing and you're not sure that it'll be around through all of this reordering of our society. Perhaps you're afraid for your children. What are their lives or your grandchildren? What are their lives going to look like in this reordering of society? They're not going to be growing up in the exact same looking society that we necessarily did for the last several generations. All that's very possible. But we still have to hear the words of Jesus. Do not be afraid. From henceforth, from now on, you're going to be fishing for men. From now on, you're going to be looking for the miracle moments at the most inopportune times. See, what, it, what, what we have to do as God's disciples, as, as, as Jesus' apostles on earth, if you will, he's sending us all out into the deep while there's still time to love people with the love of Jesus Christ. That means the unconditional love, no matter what the color of their skin is, no matter what their socioeconomic status is, no matter what their health is, no matter who they are, where they are, what they do, we're called to love them. And if we'll do that, they'll see Jesus Christ because he is love. And only Christ can give us that kind of compassion. Only Christ can help us to be that kind of merciful it's amazing the opportunities before us. I really believe this crisis could be the greatest thing to happen to the church since I don't know when, certainly in my lifetime. So let's stop apologizing. And even and all of us, whether we're pastors on this call, and I know there are pastors on this call, or whether we're lay people on this call, let's stop apologizing and living in fear of what could, what, what's not happening and what might not be. And let's deal with what we have. And let's get out there and just love people. If you have to love them with a mask on, hey, love them with a mask on. Pretty small price to pay. But let's not hunker in, be afraid to connect with society for fear of, of this virus. We cannot live in fear. We are told over and over and over in Scripture, do not live in fear. Well, we've looked at a lot today. Uh, I, I want to close this morning by telling you about something. I, I feel passionate about this. I believe one of the miracles that God wants to do right now in our churches, in our world, is I believe he wants to do some great healing. I believe he's calling his people back He's calling his people back to prayer. It's only in prayer that we truly become the disciples, the apprentices that he has called us to be, that he wants to empower and equip us to be. It's only in prayer. So we have much to learn about the school of prayer. We have much to do in prayer. And it's, in, and it's only in prayer that I believe he heals. So, with that thought. See, Jesus healed everyone, but that was Jesus. Jesus didn't have to pray. Like we talked about that last week. He didn't pray for the guy to be healed, that he healed last week. He just healed him. 
But you and I, we're not Jesus. We need to pray. We need to pray for the healing of this virus. We need to pray for the people that are sick with this virus. We need to pray for the, those that have died, their families, for God's mercy. We need to pray for our leaders to have wisdom. Let's stop spending all our time criticizing them and let's pray for them. Let's stop taking sides and let's take God's side and let's pray and believe in a miracle and open our eyes to the school of fish that's everywhere, the, 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 the harvest, if you will, that, that's ripe, the catch that's waiting. And, and let us pray for miracles. Now, to that end, I'm going to be spending the next month in, in my ministry as the pastor at the Udall United Methodist Church. I'm going to be preaching a series on the God who heals looking through the life of Jesus as the God who heals. And this Sunday's gospel is going to come from Matthew chapter 14, where Jesus is healing. And, and that service is going to be, a I'm going to have some very special services that are all designed around interacting with the healing power of God and prayer. So I'm going to invite you, if you don't have a church to be at, you're welcome to come down to Utah. We'll figure out how to space you. It's just about a half an hour away, but, but, but you don't have to do that. You can just join online. I'd love to have you, but you can join online anywhere in this world. You can join online and thank you, Silv, Jehovah Rophe. Yeah. A God, our healer. He wants to heal us, but we got to believe. We have to believe and we have to put our faith into practice and we have to lay fear aside If you will join us, even, even in, on video, I want to invite you to share. You can, you can send me, whether it's through Facebook or whether the, the udallumc.org website, whatever. You can send me a prayer request of a healing that you're believing in and that you're believing for. And I'm going to have those prayer requests at our altar. And we're going to be praying for the healing of those. I'm going to anoint those cards. I'll print it out, put it on a card. I'm going to anoint those cards with oil. If you're there in person, I'm going to anoint you with oil. But we are going, I'll have a mask on, don't worry. We are going to stand up and move out into the deep. We're going to throw out into the deep like Jesus told Peter. And we're going to see God do miracles. I don't know what he wants to do. I'm not telling God what to do. I just know he's telling us, come, follow me. Come follow me. That's what Jesus said. Come and follow me. So, uh, Debbie's going to come. What time is the church service? Good question, Debbie. It's at 9.30 a.m. We stream live on, we stream it on this Facebook page, Brad Riley Ministries, rather than the Udall Facebook page because it doesn't have very many followers and it's, it's not up and running. I can't stream to two at once. So we stream it here, 9.30, just like you're watching Bible study. What does God want to do with your life? What does he want to heal you for? Send me the emails. Send me the notes, whatever you can do. We're going to be praying for healing all through August. You're not sure this week? That's okay. <laughs> we may go longer than August. Who knows? We don't put a limit and a time limit on revival. But I think, you know, my heart wants to get out there and do revival after revival after revival in church after church after church. But we can't do it right now. We just can't do it that way we used to do it. So we're going to do it this way. 
we're going we're gonna to do it. I see it, and I, I'm just trusting God for it. So uh, as we close today, let me pray for you now. Thank you for spending the hour with me. Uh, I know you've all got a lot better things you can do with your time, maybe. You had to sacrifice to spend this time with me. But I'd like to believe there's nothing better we could all be doing than taking the time to do this, to get into the Word of God and let it get deep into us. So will you let me pray for you now? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for all who are watching this broadcast and who will ever watch this broadcast. I pray for their hearts to be uplifted, filled with hope, with joy, with peace, and believing in the miracles that you want to bring in their life and in the lives of so many that you are calling us to go out into the deep in touch. So, oh Lord God, enable us. You have called us, we are answering. So enable us to do what you are calling us to do. And we put our trust in you. And we ask all this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, your Son, who lives with you, Holy Father, and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever, and unto ages of ages. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you have more thoughts, more things, continue to just put them on that link and I'll follow up with them. Got to go to work right now. God bless you.